Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. This is Maurice Selby, MD. My name is Reed. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem and the Health in Harlem podcast featured on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, you can find us there. And there's no secret, ladies and gentlemen, we have... Here in Georgia, Loblolly Pines. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of these um, before. Apparently, this is like the second most abundant tree in the United States. Um, its aliases include Old Field Pine, Rosemary Pine, um, also by some called the Bull Pine because it has such a huge trunk. As far as the Old Field Pine, it has a penchant for taking over old areas, which I can see that around me. Um, down here. This stuff is everywhere, man, these pine trees. And the actual species and genus names are Pinus tata. Evergreen trees grow more than 24 inches per year. That's something I recently found out. And it is great for shade. They are great shelter, great source of food for many animals, including Carolina, Carolina chickadees, brown-headed nuthatches, rufous-sided Towhees, even wild turkeys, chickmunks, squirrels, other small rodents like to consume the seeds. Yeah. So why am I so caught up with these dang on trees? Um, I think you all might know already in that Mm -hmm. it is spring. It's a time of rebirth, regeneration, renewal. And in New York, this was a dope time. I mean, it's still a dope time for me. One, because my birthday is I'm a spring birthday baby, actually birthday coming up. So uh, happy birthday to me early. (laughs) But also, right, we emerged from winter and the the grime. The one image that (laughs) that really haunts me with winter, especially in New York City, was just like the snow that's been on the ground for days, Um, you know, with the the tire tracks in it. And it's all brown and Mm -hmm. black and just everywhere and disgusting. Um, So we're coming out of that. Everything is brightening up. Um, exactly. I'll tell you exactly where we're at. Actually, the witch hazel has bloomed already. Forsythia mm, has bloomed. Some cherry trees are already at it and popping. That's and what's up. I've already seen a couple magnolias that look like they're blooming any day now. So I'm excited for that. If you talk to like 70, 80 percent of the people out there, 
this is an extraordinary time, including myself. I'm always like walking out each day, like, yo, this is so great. Sniffing the air, breathing it in. Hearing all the birds sing around you. Yeah, hearing all the birds. It's a Disney movie. It's, (laughs) yo, I mean, as corny as it sounds, that's how I feel every day, waking up in the spring. Um, especially here in Georgia. It's very verdant, right? A lot of greenery around here. There's a lot of wildlife. Um, even in a lot of the urban areas of um, Atlanta, Georgia, you'd be surprised how many trees there are, the wildlife that's out here. I see chipmunks on the regular just running around, chilling. So that's dope to me. But if you ask my wife, this is among the worst times of the year for her. And with that said, is. <laughs> 20 to 30 percent of the people in this country, really, in many parts of the world where, um, you know, in a time like spring, where all is blooming and right. The the life that is sprouting up literally um, around us is allergy season. And they are miserable people out there at the same time. I'm enjoying this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's gotten to the point where I got to like. You know, as much as I'm celebrating this, I'm like, oh, man, this is a great day. Oh, I, I feel like I got to, like, hold back because it just as, as it's great for me and I'm looking around, there are some miserable people around me, even in my household. And so, yeah, man, it's spring. It's allergy season. And that's the topic of the program. We're going to talk about some allergies um, because this is a major. We talk about health in Harlem or really health in the United States of America right now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that is on people's mind. Um, and so that's what we're going to delve into, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And and so and the, the, the thing is, right, is just I've really sat down and thought about how long this lasts, because, you know, it'd be one thing if this was just literally a couple of weeks out of the year. Um, but it, yeah, it's pretty pro- It's like having a cold for a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. Or for a couple of days, um, you know, especially when we look at some of uh, the floral uh, life around us, right? Some of the mm-hmm. plants around us, you know, they bloom and these are cycles that are at least at this phase or these isolated phases are a couple of days at most a week, yeah. right? And so you would think this would be like, oh, this is just a one and done type of thing. But um, I've noticed, um, especially with Christine, my wife, it's like <laughs> the spring and well into the summer, there are some periods, man, where it's just very difficult. And so one, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say out there, especially for the allergy folks out there, the sufferers, seasonal allergies, I feel you. I feel you. And we are here with you on Health in Harlem. Um, And so, yeah, when you hear us come on the air and say, oh, this is a beautiful day, uh, I I do want to say that I can empathize, right, uh, with you all out there. (laughs) Well, I'll still say it's a beautiful day, but we empathize with you. And that's why we're doing this program It's for you. Right. We didn't forget you. Um, and I know Reed was talking about the Forsythias blooming and stuff just a couple of weeks ago. And that was probably driving some of our listeners crazy. Um, and so this is a tribute to you all out there, all the allergy sufferers. And that's why we're going to talk about this. We're going to give you some useful strategies and, and trips and tips on mitigating this. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And those allergies were really hurting me, too. I was feeling it. I have pretty bad allergies as well. Um, Mm. but I'm out there, you know, I'm trying to do everything we preach on health in Harlem, getting out there, exercising, you know, enjoying life, doing all that and managing my allergies as best as I can. So hopefully by the end of the show, you guys will also have a better idea on how to manage your allergies and be able to go about your daily life as free as you would like to. Word. 
with that said, you know, a, a, another sort of down point in this conversation is that allergies indeed are on the rise. Um, I can say this subjectively in that when I see what people in my family, my social circle, friends, colleagues even, um, they are suffering more, it seems like, than usual. And they mm. say that. I've even talked to people down here since moving to Georgia um, where, you know, one thing that that really was crazy to me when we first moved down here uh, with these pines, right? These pine trees, they're everywhere. And one night we were at a barbecue. Um, it was late in the afternoon. And we were talking. It's a beautiful day out. And I remember looking up and uh, I could see in the sunlight like little... It looked like a little hazy, not, I can't say <laughs> hazy, but it was like, there was something floating up there. And then I looked and I was like, yo, literally it was the pollen like coming off of the tree and you can see it. It was like a little cloud that was flowing from the tree as the, because the wind was gently blowing at there. I was like, yo, this is crazy. This is mm -hmm. insane. And talking to people um, around here, they say that it has been significantly worse um, as far as the pollen. And this is something that happens every year in Georgia around this time where you see this nice, like little yellow. It's not nice, actually, especially if you got a nice car. <laughs> it's like this yellow coating on everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just the pollen, ev like literally everywhere on your car. This is not the time to go for, you know, cleaning and stunting with your car because it'll be covered with this yellow, fine little dust each and every day. Uh, but apparently it's worse. And the data shows that it's worse pretty much everywhere. 10 to 30% of the global population suffering with allergic rhinitis, aka hay fever, and another 300 million people worldwide living with asthma, right? We're seeing these rates going up. Childhood asthma rates doubled from 1980 to 1995, and they're still increasing um, a little slowly, a little more slowly lately, but they're still going up. And type 1 hypersensitivity diseases, we're going to get into that stuff, ladies and gentlemen, but that includes asthma, allergic rhinitis, all these things have been increasing in prevalence, um, especially in economically advantaged places throughout the world for the last 30 years. We'll get into that as well. There are many thoughts as to why this is the case, combination of factors um, leading to these increases, including changing diets, um, especially here in the United States, and even better hygiene. Uh, but also some hypotheses out there looking at climate change as a major driver in the increased rates of individuals suffering from allergies. Um, and part of it stems, <laughs> pun intended, stems um, <laughs> from what we're talking about with, right, these longer warm seasons, warmer temperatures. Um, they literally tell these plants, hey, go crazy, right? Release mm -hmm. your pollen everywhere. And so that was that pollen cloud that I was watching literally drifting from that tree um, not too long ago down here in Georgia. And so yeah. this is a problem that is a major problem now, and it will probably be a bigger problem as we go forward. And so that's another reason why this is just such a profoundly important program. So um, Reed, real quick, before we move on, I just want to understand how bad is it for you? Because Because talking to you right now, you sound like you're doing okay, man. You're not hacking and sneezing and yeah. I'm doing all right. For me as a child, I never really had seasonal allergies. I grew up like an hour upstate from the city mm. and my allergies, my my brother and my father always had really, really bad allergies and I never had 
much, if anything. Um, and then I moved to the city about six or seven years ago. I think a couple of years before that, I started experiencing allergies. But every year since I've been in the city, my allergies have felt like they've gotten worse every single year. And I don't know whether that's because I'm getting more sensitized to it. Who knows? Mm. Um, but the earlier this month, actually, or last month, now that it's April, I actually had allergies so bad that I got a little bit of a cough. Uh, mucus was building up in my lungs. So still recovering from that a little bit, but feeling good. Got it. Yeah, man. It's it's funny how this, and for me personally, definitely grew up with asthma. Fortunately, I grew out of that for the most part. There's still certain things that'll, that'll trigger me, cold, dry air. Um, sometimes after a respiratory illness, especially like the common cold, I might get a little oh, yeah, easy. I know. And especially with the weather up in the city lately, it's been going from like 60 degrees. The next week is back down to 30. So I think that's definitely contributing to a lot of people getting sick because a lot mm-hmm. of people that I know are getting sick, not with COVID, but with colds, with coughs, etc. Yeah, man. So, so ladies and gentlemen, let's just start with what allergies are. I think that's a reasonable point to start in the conversation. Um, And as basic as it might sound, I think there is some confusion about this. And that's what we're hoping to clear up by delving. I'm talking about getting into this, this topic. Mm. We'll just start with uh, the Oxford Dictionary definition. Basically, an allergy is a damaging immune response by the body to a substance, especially things like pollen, fur, a particular food or even dust. And it is uh, this response, right? Immune response, a damaging immune response to um, something to which an individual has become hypersensitive. That's a key word, hypersensitive. What does that mean? Well, we can give you a little bit of uh, history. In 1893, Von Behring, uh, scientists, right? injected animals with diphtheria toxin. He noticed that the animals would have enhanced responses and even potentially die following a second dose of the toxin. Um, And and an interesting thing was that the toxin right, especially the second dose was too small to really have those effects on its own. So um, yes, this was a, a toxin, right? The diphtheria toxin, but it was in such a small amount that it would not hurt um, an animal of that size. And so there was something else going on essentially, right. That was leading to that animal being injured or uh, succumbing to that exposure. In 1906, Clemens von Perquet and Bela Schick, they identified what they termed, something they termed serum sickness and basically described it as the systemic uh, symptoms that individuals had uh, systemically, right, throughout their entire body weeks after receiving diphtheria or tetanus toxin, tetanus antitoxin horse serum. So they were receiving these antitoxins, um, basically kind of like vaccines, right, um, to mitigate the effects of the actual tetanus or diphtheria toxins that were released by certain bacteria. Um, they would receive these antitoxins and weeks later begin to have symptoms, everything from achy bones and joints, um, fevers, um, and other uh, evidence that, right, there was being damage done. And they began to 
postulate that there were, right, there was some sort of hypersensitivity taking place, meaning that these individuals were becoming more sensitive um, or reacting more to these substances. And let's just uh, fast forward. We've eventually learned that, right, there are many complicated immune reactions taking place throughout our bodies um, that explain these hyper sensitivities. Basically, there are four types, ladies and gentlemen, type one being mediated by special IgE antibodies, type two IgG antibodies, type three, um, also IgG uh, antibodies just by a slightly different mechanism. And then finally, type four, which are cell mediated. Um, so T cells primarily that are actually causing uh, this damage throughout the body. And it could range from everything from allergic rhinitis. So the typical allergies that we talk about for seasonal allergies, the stuffy nose, runny nose, redness of the eyes, um, even being itchy in certain areas. Um, these are that type one, predominantly these type one reactions uh, that we've mentioned <clears throat> to everything from drug allergies, right? Some drug allergies are IgG mediated. So they are type two um, or even type three reactions, um, especially when we talk about vaccine mediated um, these complicated vaccine-mediated uh, allergic reactions. A lot of times they are in these type two, type three uh, categories. They could even be that type four category. Uh, but long story short, the basic thing to take home is that this is an aberrant immune response. Aberrant in that typically we want our immune system to protect us, right, from microorganisms, especially pathogenic or disease-causing microorganisms, that is the job of the immune system, to prevent us from getting sick, to help us fight off uh, illness, especially infectious illness when we do get sick, and even to help repair the body, right? That is the job of our immune system, to help um, with those processes. Mm -hmm. But when it is deranged, right, we can have things like autoimmune diseases where the immune system is fighting our own body, but we can also have um, when these responses uh, are causing damage to the body um, or especially in these cases of hypersensitivity, they can cause damage um, to the body when they are exposed or when we are exposed to a particular substance. When we talk about pollen, for instance, right, we have pollen floating around. You might in one case, right, Reed, you said sometimes it doesn't seem to bother mm -hmm. you too much. Um, yeah. But maybe weeks later, you begin to develop that stuffy nose, runny nose, the itchiness, the redness of the eyes. Um, then you might have been sensitized to that particular pollen um, that you've been re-exposed to. Definitely. Same thing. And one, one example of that is uh, that a lot of people might be familiar with is bee stings. Um, cause the classic story is I got stung by a bee when I was a really young child, you know, later on in my life, I got stung again and I had a really, really bad mm -hmm. allergic reaction. Um, and it's always the second time you get stung. It, it never happens the first time because the first time you become sensitized to it. And then the second time is when you experience that allergic reaction. Yes. And one thing that is characteristic, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, is that, these responses, when you are, when you do have those subsequent exposures, they can become um, stronger, right? They can be more pronounced um, as far as the symptoms um, in that immune response. And so, and, and the same thing happened to me, actually. One story I remember, I went to a friend's house 
this was in medical school. They had a cat um, that they had just bought <laughs> and hanging out, playing with the cat and stuff. That first day is like, yo, this is great, man. Cat is beautiful. And we're all having a great time eating and stuff. And it was literally a couple weeks later, like two weeks later, that I went back and we were um, everybody, you know, preparing dinner and stuff. And we have people hanging out. I progressively, I just remember at first it started with like a little itchiness in my throat. And I was like, ah, oh, what's that? Like, <laughs> it just felt weird. It felt kind of dry. I thought it was dry in there. And as the night progressed, I got more stuffy. I started having runny nose, eyes super itchy, feeling puffy. And it was the damn cat. <laughs> I was like, but I thought of it, right? And this was as a medical student. I was like, yo, I was like, hold up. I've been sensitized to the damn cat. <laughs> Like, as I started playing, and especially any, like, what, the times when I was more exposed to the cat, playing with it, that's when it, my symptoms got worse. And I was like, wow, I'm allergic to this this little guy. Um, and I had that, you know, occasionally when I was younger, some uh, cat allergies, um, especially. Um, but, yeah, to, to that particular cat, I guess that particular species, the dander from that species, uh, for whatever reason, man, I was sensitized to that cat. And that drove me crazy. But that's how this works, ladies and gentlemen, uh, where we have this sort of immune response, abnormal, we would say immune response, and that can be harmful. Um, this is what a hypersensitivity is. And now there is more to the story um, aside just from these different types of hypersensitivity. Uh, there is also some genetics involved. So there are some hereditary, or we can just say there is a hereditary component to this, where some individuals might be more susceptible to developing hypersensitivities to various substances um, or agents throughout their lives. And that could be, as we said, a, a sort of a genetic basis to that. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's also some theories as to why this is such an epidemic that we're seeing um, as we move forward in time. Um, and some actual interesting theories. I think they might even play into what you were getting at, Reed, in that moving from uh, upstate to New York City, some maybe some changes in there that might have led to this uh, for you. Yeah, my personal theory about that, uh, not really founded in science or anything, is that upstate, most of the trees around there are native to the area. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you come down to the city, most of the trees around here are planted and a lot of them are specifically trees that have, are planted to be able to tolerate the conditions in cities. And so those trees come from all over the place. They come from Japan, China, mm. uh, all sorts of Europe, you know. Um, so you've really got a whole like mishmash of different trees and potentially different allergens. So that's my personal theory as to why, but it does make sense that with sensitization that I'm getting, you know, my allergies have been getting worse every year. I like your theory and going to play with it a little bit just because, um, you know, it, and this is really complex stuff, ladies and gentlemen, not completely worked out. Um, but one of the theories is that there's some early life exposures, right, that mm -hmm. can lead to a decreased risk in the development of autoimmune diseases and even um, hypersensitivity reactions, right? And so, uh, for instance, there is this theory about hygiene, basically this hygiene hypothesis where early life exposures to different microbes, to different pathogens, so bacteria, viruses, 
even fungal uh, specimens, protozoa, all of these different microorganisms, this can affect the balance or the way that our immune system responds to different agents or to different substances around us, right? Um, and this can be things such as immune responsive reactions. So immune reactions that can actually help in dealing with these infections, right? That's the purpose. We want to be able to take out an infection or prevent it before it happens versus, right, immune modulating influences um, and even poor modulation, if you will, um, where individuals that grew up, grew up so for instance, in a, a very clean environment, because they have not been exposed to various microorganisms, um, right? A clean environment, you probably washed away all the germs, you've been using all of those Clorox wipes everywhere. And so your child is growing up in a <laughs> sterile environment, not exposed to anything. It's a very critical point of development for children where Especially now, walking around wearing yeah. masks everywhere, too. Wearing masks everywhere. And that's the thing. Daycare plague is a good thing. Actually, my daughter just got over, <laughs> is still getting over to a degree, <laughs> um, this terrible uh, upper respiratory infection. She's waking up crusty nose. It's like yellow crustiness. I wish I had a picture to show you how gross it was, man. She's so beautiful. <laughs> that classic, <laughs> like. She's a cute kid. I was like, young oh, kid, get away from me. Nose, yeah. That's as cute as she is. I was like, yo, this is crazy. But anyway, it's all crusted up there and, and hard and stuff. You got to like wipe it away at the rag and she's fussing and trying to fight you. Um, but anyway, Maurice Donovan Selby was like, yo, this is great. This is great. This is great. This is great. Because this is a sterile child. You talk about sterile, like you said, Reed, um, a pandemic baby. You know, she's 17 months and um, really hadn't been exposed to much of anything aside from, thank God for her, her kindergarten sister, Imani, who's bringing home all the nice kindergarten germs. So she's getting that stuff especially since they're um, more out and about and together now, you know, the masks mandates um, have been taken away at her school. And so now she's getting the exposure that she needs. But anyway, um, Zora being exposed to this is great, right? Because her growing <laughs> up uh, in this sterile environment, when she is encounters various substances. So everything from um, the pollen that's out there to, um, medication, certain foods, she has a higher likelihood of having sensitivity developed to those various items or various substances because her immune system has not been trained in how to properly respond to various um, substances. Okay. I know it's a long roundabout way to get to that, but that is sort of this hygiene hypothesis. These early exposures to microbial pathogens in our environment not only trained us how to deal with those uh, microorganisms or bacteria, viruses, and so on, but also it trains our system how to respond to many different things, right? Um, so pollen, it would look at pollen and say, ah, it's not a big deal. It's not as worrisome as that diarrhea, you know, rotavirus that we came in contact with or, or the norovirus or that um, uh Bacteria, you know, that we we came in um, that streptococcal bacteria, that strep throat looking bacteria that we came in contact. We know how to fight that. We know how to get rid of that thing. But this pollen is a is nonsense. Get away from me. I'm not going to react to that. Uh, you know, that's the difference. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like I said, many different theories. There's also some theories saying that previous infections with certain parasites. So helminths, we're talking about literally worms 
um, that can live in your GI system, that can even migrate to other parts of the body, um, they can lead to very strong uh, immune responses, especially regarding your T cells. And so this has been associated with protection against development of allergy, right? Interesting. And that's the thing, uh, especially when we look at this hygiene hypothesis, there are parts of the world that struggle with helminths, right? Different worm parasites, worm-like parasites. And those areas of the world have, when it comes to allergies that we see here in the United States, they have lower rates of those type of allergies, different food allergies, other environmental allergies. Um, and so that is the belief is that this exposure to these parasites can actually teach our immune system how to uh, react appropriately, right? When it comes in contact with things that might not be a problem. So anyway, that's kind of where uh, the theory is and it's still evolving, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing um, that we can say is set in stone. This is still stuff that that we're learning about um, in the medical and scientific community. Um, but it is very important, right, this understanding, because then it really helps us understand what we can do to improve um, how we deal with allergies. Exactly. Yeah. So you should be taking your taking Zora around to all your friends' houses. Yo, everybody that's rip. got a dog <laughs> hanging out over yes. there. Yo. Say if you take her to everybody's place who who has a dog, you know, chances are she's less likely to have an allergy to dogs later on in life. And if she know, stays cooped up in your in your house and never sees a dog, that's right. Chances are, you know, she might be allergic. That's the and that and the data has shown that. Um, that that is the case, that children with pets or that have been exposed to animals um, at a younger age are less likely to have allergies to um, mm -hmm. to those species um, or even to the to other animals um, within, you know, those groups, those genuses or families. Um, so it's, it's really interesting stuff. And, you know, me as uh, especially some of the anxiety that I've developed, I think just from my wife and like the rest of my family and stuff is like um, letting her go and pet dogs and stuff and the dogs will lick her and stuff. And I got to hold back like, all right, Mo, it's cool. She's good. It's harmless. <laughs> if anything is strengthening her, right. With the exposure one to the germs from the dog boosts her immune system, she knows how to fight it, but also in decreasing the allergy, sometimes we might have to hold back, let the kids play in the dirt, I know it sounds crazy to the parents out there. Yeah. They're like, let what? the kid like touch things let and them... then put their hand in their mouth. Yo, it's it's <laughs> to this day, Reed. I'm like, ugh. Um, it's funny because I'll have them out at the park and, and something like that will happen. And I'm like, damn, I can't tell Christina she's gonna flip. Uh, I just gotta <laughs> I just gotta and even me, I'm like, oh, like yo, wash your hands, like man. But uh that has been shown to be right, possibly very protective, mm -hmm. and so yeah. And I think about myself yeah. when, I was, when I was out over. there running around. Yeah, exactly. Yes. When I say let them eat feces, um, that's, that's the, yeah. even though I guess kids are eating feces on a regular basis in daycare, um, can't really see it, but it's there on every <laughs> on every surface. But you don't want them catching Giardia or anything. Nah, they don't want that stuff. They don't need that word. Um, so yeah, there's limits, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Although it don't, is a parasite, which may, <laughs> I know, which may boost their, who knows, prevent them from having allergies later. But anyway, the long story short, right? Too clean is bad. Um, just like too dirty is bad. We want that nice medium, that nice, uh, mucky medium 
where they can get some germs that'll help them in their immune responses and function going forward. So yeah, that's that. And now with all of that said, ladies and gentlemen, um, I think we can move on to really just diagnosis and treatment of allergies. Cause that's what really everybody is here for. Right, Reed? Yeah, for sure. Um, and this isn't really all that complicated. Diagnosis is pretty easy. Um, you go to a doctor and if you're experiencing really bad allergies, hopefully you've been listening to health in Harlem and you already have a primary care physician. So you can just hit them up and say, Hey, I have allergies. I'd like to make an appointment, whatever. Maybe you can even refer me to an ENT specialist, uh, stands for ear, nose, and throat. Um, and they typically do allergy. They're typically allergy specialists. Um, and so when you go to that appointment with that doctor, typically the first thing they're going to do is ask about personal medical history. You know, have what have you experienced that you've been allergic to? Have you been stung by a bee? All that kind of stuff. Um, they might perform a physical exam. They'd take a look at your ears, eyes, nose, throat, chest, skin. They might also do a lung function test because remember, asthma is uh, part of allergies and they can have an effect on your lung capacity and your ability to breathe. Um, and then they might also even do an x-ray of your lungs or your sinuses to see how they're looking, see if they're blocked up, um, that kind of thing. And then to diagnose an allergy, most often they use a skin prick test, which is where they place a drop of an allergen on your skin, typically either your back or your arm. Um, and then they push a little needle through that into your skin uh, and then wait a specific you know period of time, typically about 15 minutes or so. And they take a look back at your skin. And if it's, you know, swollen or if it turns red or anything, that's that right there is an allergic response. You know, that's that's those mast cells releasing histamine and, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, and so that would be a diagnosis. But this isn't, you know, 100 percent. So if, you know, that test comes back negative, um, but the doctor still thinks that you might have an allergy to whatever they just tested for, they might do something a little more intensive. Um, which is an intradermal test. Uh, and then there's also a few other different types of tests they can do. They can do, uh, if they suspect that you have all sorts of hypersensitivities, they can test your blood IgE levels. Um, or, you know, if it's really that complicated of an allergy, they might actually supervise exposure to that allergen within their, their practice or their clinic um, mm -hmm. to see what the reaction is like. You know, this is um, really important, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to see a medical professional because um, this diagnosis is very, very important, um, not just from the comfort standpoint, right, of obviously identifying allergies and being able to treat you appropriately, uh, but also, especially when we talk about other types of allergies. So not just the seasonal, but when we talk about drug related allergies and we talk about food related al allergies it is very very important to make those diagnoses and the reason why i say this is because these can be deadly right not only can they be uncomfortable especially like the seasonal um, allergies that we've been largely discussing uh, but it's important to have that diagnosis a formal diagnosis of whether or not something that happened um, when you were exposed to a certain food item or when you were exposed to a particular 
um, drug potentially or medication, we want to know whether or not you had an actual allergic reaction versus a side effect or adverse effect. It is important to be able to make that distinction, that diagnosis of an allergic reaction versus an adverse effect or, again, a side effect of a medication. And so case in point, one thing that we typically see in the emergency department, patients will come in with a documented or reported allergy of right to a penicillin-like drug or penicillin itself, and we'll typically say, hey, what happened, right? What was it that happened to you? Or how do you know you're allergic? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I don't know. My parent told me, you know, to stay away from it. It was something that happened when I was little. And we try to get more details. They don't know. And so this makes things very complicated, especially when we talk about treating patients for various infections, right? Uh, if we can't use a penicillin, and many times, there are many times when a penicillin or penicillin-like medication or antibiotic would be the best choice, right? The first choice therapy we can't use it because we're worried about risks with patients, right, of them having severe allergic reactions or anaphylaxis. Um, that is a severe allergic reaction that can be life-threatening. It's hard to discern, right, what it was. And so that's why it's very important to have this understanding. So typically when we talk about an allergic reaction to a medication or food, we are talking about exactly what Reed was describing with that mast cell release, right? This type 1 hypersensitivity, um, mast cell degranulation. So you'll have individuals with itchy hives. Um, they'll have these raised sort of wheel-like lesions on their body, very puffy looking, um, very itchy, red. They can also have difficulty breathing. So everything from uh, wheezing and shortness of breath to having upper respiratory symptoms. So strider, which is very worrisome. Um, like a, a noisy, high-pitched breathing sound. Uh, they can also have nasal congestion, runny nose, redness of the eyes. All of these things scream, right? Severe allergic reaction, um, anaphylaxis. You need to get treated immediately. Individuals can also have some more complicated symptoms, uh, everything from nausea, vomiting, cramping, abdominal discomfort. They can even just pass out um, from... Uh, exposure to right a particular substance, and that can be evidence of this severe allergic reaction. The key thing here is that recognizing this is important because the treatment, we're talking about a life-saving therapy here, um, in that we need to administer epinephrine to these individuals that we are worried about with having this severe allergic reaction or anaphylaxis. Um, and so that is going to be a dose of epinephrine um, into the thigh, the lateral thigh, or the outer part portion of uh, either thigh, or directly into the shoulder. Sometimes you can even get it, give it into the buttocks. The key is it has to get into a muscle, a large muscle group, preferably um, in your body in which you administer this medication. And this is a life-saving thing. So one, again, we need to make that diagnosis, right? Whether this was a true allergic reaction, um, because one, in terms of treatment, uh, but two, in terms of making sure that you can safely take a medication or not going forward, it is crucial to have that information about what happened, right, when an individual was exposed to um, a particular substance or medication. Typically, we'll see this stuff, especially with bee stings, as Reed said earlier, 
right? You might get stung once, but then having a second sting, um, you can manifest these symptoms. Um, and so that would be um, a true allergic reaction versus, um, you know, we talk about medicine, for instance, there are individuals that take penicillin or amoxicillin or some other version of a penicillin-like drug, and 30, 40 minutes later, they vomit, right? Um, maybe they even vomit when they first take the medication. But if that was all they had was just an episode of vomiting, they didn't have the itchy, right, wheel-like rash, redness everywhere, puffiness developing, difficulty breathing, um, or anything that else that looked like these sort of, I guess we could say classic allergic reactions, it would more than likely be a side effect or adverse effect of the medication itself. Um, and so, right, it is... Um, mm -hmm it'd be better not to avoid using that in the, in the future if it's going to help the individual. Um, maybe we can give you some nausea medication to help you tolerate the medication better or the antibiotic better and still treat you appropriately and safely. Or even just some advice on uh, how to take it properly. You know, per perhaps you are feeling nauseous because you took the penicillin on an empty stomach. Yes. And if you talk to your doctor about that, they may recommend taking it with a meal, you know? Yes. Um, and so, and it, and it could be more complex, right? Situations. Yeah. And especially when we talk about the other types, you know, we've talked about these different types of hypersensitivities, uh, mainly these four types. And so, you know, when it comes to type two, three, and four hypersensitivities, those can be a little bit more complex, a little bit more subtle, especially when we talk about things like serum sickness, um, when we talk about these antibody mediated reactions. Um, and other immune-mediated reactions, they can be very complex. And so this is why if you do have an adverse effect to a medication or there was some bizarre effect with a food, we need you to be evaluated by a medical professional to establish what actually happened, right? And really to, to help determine whether this was an allergic reaction or an adverse effect of a medication or substance. Um, again, so that you can be treated appropriately and two, so that we know, right, what to do about avoidance in the future. Um, because if you just had nausea vomiting after taking a penicillin-based medication or antibiotic, um, chances are you didn't have an allergy. As we said, you can treat you, right? Either you take it on a, a full stomach that might help you tolerate it better. We can give you medicine to tolerate it and you can safely be treated with penicillin-like medications in the future, um, that is a big difference than saying, hey, I'm allergic. I can't be treated with that. Now you have to find an alternative that might not work as well, and it might set you up for other complications um, going forward. So very important distinction. Um, and and with that said, let's rely on the professionals to help sort out what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And in terms of treatment for uh, seasonal al allergies, I can tell you at least what I do to manage my own allergies. I love it. Um, maybe not the most scientifically founded, but I got it like a little pharmacy going on in my bedroom. Um, so typically when I'm experiencing allergies, I'll take like once in the morning, um, one pill, a little knockoff of Zyrtec, you know, like the CVS brand Zyrtec or something. Um, so I'll take one of those and... You know, if I'm really feeling congested, I got a little Flonase that I can squirt up in my nostrils and hopefully clear those out. 
Um, and then if I'm feeling really congested as well, I also have a, a decongestant that I can take. I think it's like Tylenol and some decongestant in, in a pill form. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I take the Zyrtec every morning, but the other things I try to take as infrequently as possible, um, just because I don't want to overdo it in any way. Got it. And um, Zyrtirazine, ladies and gentlemen, that is Zyrtec. Um, and so basically, Reed nailed it, right? In terms of dealing with allergies. Now, as we said, right, big distinction here, severe allergic reaction, anaphylaxis, especially if it is medication or food-induced, so peanut allergy um, mm-hmm. or your seafood allergy, you start to get those highs everywhere, shortness of breath, or you pass out and having those symptoms. Um, or if you're in doubt, just get to the ER, right? Um, and if you have an EpiPen available, you want to administer that as quickly as possible. Even if the individual does not have uh, an EpiPen, right, calling EMS and getting them to that scene as quickly as possible and let them know that, hey, this person had this exposure. I think they might have an allergy. Letting the dispatcher know um, that'll be make it more likely that the EMS personnel will be able to administer um, that life-saving therapy with that knowledge of what happened. But when we talk about seasonal allergies, um, some different right pointers here in that this is going to be mainly just getting you through, making you comfortable as you deal with this. So we're not curing this, uh, but definitely making it better or more tolerable as far as the symptoms. Um, and so Reed mentioned Zyrtec. That is the trade name of a medication called Sertirazine. Sertirazine is an antihistamine. Um, it is a <clears throat> second generation antihistamine. Um, actually, very cool in that, right? Some of the drawbacks of traditional antihistamines like diphenhydramine or Benadryl, aka Benadryl, right? Is that um, you would take a Benadryl and yes, it would dry up your secretions and you would feel a lot better, open the nasal passages, maybe even a little bit. Um, but the drowsiness, right? Um, that medication crosses the blood-brain barrier, so it gets into the brain. It can cause uh, some sedative effects, so it makes you sleepy, drowsy, um, and that's a, <laughs> a tough thing to deal with when you're trying to work, right? Trying to get yeah. relief from your allergies, but trying to carry out your day-to-day affairs, it makes it very, very difficult when you're walking around drowsy. Um, and so with that said, <clears throat> we Dangerous have- Dangerous even, especially yeah. if you're driving and commuting to work too. Yes, um, so fortunately, modern medicine has brought to us these later generation antihistamine medications such as sertirazine, even things like loratadine, aka claritin, that you can take. And one, they are pretty long lasting, um, a lot of times lasting up to 24 hours a day. They are over the counter and they don't cause those sedating effects, right? They don't get into the brain as well or as easily as traditional antihistamines. And so they are much less likely to sedate you or knock you out, um, but they will help you tolerate the symptoms. Um, And so that is definitely recommended. Another thing that Reed had mentioned was decongestants. So things like oxymetazoline, um, this is also an over-the-counter medication that can help with nasal congestion and stuffiness. Um, You can administer it intranasally, so you squirt it up the nose, um, the only thing I would say is do not use this for more than three days. And you do want to follow, and the same thing with the antihistamines, you want to follow the instructions on the packages 
Or if you do have a prescription from a medical profession, you want to follow that prescription to a T, follow the instructions to a T um, in order to make sure that you are using the medication appropriately and safely. Um, but these things can work wonders. Another thing uh, read throughout there was Flonase. This is also a nasal spray typically. Um, basically, it is an inhaled steroid that can help decrease some of the inflammation. As we said, right, this is a an immune-mediated process and we talk about hypersensitivity reactions. And so um, by mitigating that inflammatory response with steroids, we can have some improvement in our symptoms um, as we're exposed to these allergens in our environment. <clears throat> the last thing that I will add as far as uh, therapies rendered or medications that can be given um, would be some of these really advanced, uh, more recent things that, that have been in development, um, these immune modulating therapies that have been coming out. Now, these... Definitely. And would yeah. you say that mm -hmm. these are for people with more severe seasonal allergies than me? Because I feel like with with my mild to moderate allergies, I manage the symptoms pretty well with the techniques I described. And that is the awesome thing. I'm glad you brought that up, Reed, right? Because does everybody need to see um, an emergency physician <laughs> in the ER? Probably not. Um, you can probably try some of these uh, medications that are over the counter. They are relatively inexpensive. Um, and they can bring you relief, right? And safely. Um, but for more advanced cases, right, where you are not getting control of those symptoms, um, especially with these medications that we just talked about, it might be necessary to see a specialist, whether it is an ENT specialist, an otolaryngologist, as Reed had mentioned before, or an allergist or even a pulmonary and um, critical care medicine uh, specialist. Regardless, there are many different doctors that treat allergies. Um, <clears throat> and so with that said, fine, that, that might be some of my little allergy stuff acted up right there. But um, anyway, there are some cases where the symptoms are more severe. They are more sensitive to some things in their environment. And so some individuals do need to see a specialist. And the bonus with seeing a specialist, not only can we get an accurate diagnosis because not everything is an allergy. Individuals can have COVID. Individuals can have um, other inflammatory syndromes going on that are causing or mimicking symptoms that right we would think are just allergies. Um, but also, if you do have that diagnosis of a hypersensitivity or an allergy that is developed, there are more advanced therapies that can be rendered with a specialist, including these immune modulating um, or immune immune controlling drugs, right? That can help not only manage the symptoms, but even right prevent you from having um, occurrences in the first place, especially for individuals with severe allergies, right? So that's something to look into. Um, and thank you for bringing that up, Reed. And so the next thing that I would say that we can do um, or some strategies, let's look into the home um, environment, because I think that's another place where a lot can be done to mitigate the, the problems that we see with um, allergies. And so with that said, I think a couple of things, right? And this is the case where cleanliness is going to be very, very helpful, um, so wearing your shoes in the house or your clothes as you come in from the environment, especially if you're down here in Georgia and you got all of this yellow <laughs> dust everywhere, 
of all of this pollen everywhere, you ain't going to take your shoes off at the door, right? As early as you can get out of your clothes, basically you are decontaminating, right? Taking that stuff off, putting it away as quickly as possible, because the more you walk around your house with those things you were wearing outdoors, you bring all of that stuff, all of that pollen, um, all of the dander, anything that's out there that you're reacting to, you bring it indoors. Um, other things that we'd recommend for indoor environments, um, humidifiers. So this can not only help with your symptoms in moistening your nasal passages, your upper air- airways, but also some of these particulate matter that is, are flowing around, right? Pollen, dander, it can weigh it down, bring it down to the ground where you're not inhaling it and therefore having more symptoms as you're reacting to it. Um, And another thing is your air conditioning, right? So not only making sure that the temperatures are appropriate for your comfort, but making sure that the filters are changed on your air conditioning units or your central air system, that can go a long way in helping you deal with um, your seasonal allergies uh, because especially there are certain specially designed filters have uh, smaller pores, right? That'll not allow things like pollen um, and other potential allergens into your home or workplace. And so making sure that those filters on your air conditioning units or systems are changed regularly and also looking at the uh, manufacturer's notations on the size of the filter can also help you filter out allergens and other um potential things you might be reacting to. So just some quick things you can pay attention to and significantly improve the air quality in your home or workplace and also minimize the chances that you're having reactions to all of this stuff. Anything you wanted to add, um, read about just using our technology um, as we go out each and every day, anything else we can do to help us out in terms of Definitely. managing seasonal allergies? Um, I know if you just like Google air quality NYC or something, it'll pop up and it'll show the like the pollen index. I'm, I forget how it's how it's rated, um, but they have like a, a scale of how bad the pollen is on any specific day. And like Mo was saying with the humidifier and weighing down the pollen, same thing happens when it rains. So if mm. it rains outside, a lot of those raindrops either form on with pollen as their core, or they catch a lot of pollen as they drop down. Um, so if it just rained the day before, get out there and experience life as best as you can, because that's probably the day when there's going to be the least amount of allergens out in the air. True story, man. True story. And also, I think this this has worked for me in the past, because um, some for some strange region, I guess, I don't know if it's the ragweed later in the, um, you know, like spring and summer, um, that gets me, but at some points I do have some allergies, you know, related to just sort of what's out there, um, in our atmosphere, um, as far as the plant life. And so what has helped me is just getting out early, right? So I like to go running. And one thing that has helped me is getting out and running before it gets too hot and everything really starts to open up and all of the pollen is out there flowing, um, one, because as Reed said too, right, the, the, typically the humidity is a little higher, um, at that time. And that's when we have some condensation developing, right? So we're pulling some of that, uh, pollen and, and other particulate matter down again to the ground and away from our noses. We're going to inhale it and become symptomatic from it. 
Um, but also the trees and all of those things are not releasing as much pollen. Um, and so you're much less likely to have, or at least you'll have probably uh, milder symptoms if you are out and about. So basically you got to be that early bird out there taking advantage of the day, getting your business done and getting in before noon when <laughs> everything is out flowing and um, you're more likely to have symptoms. Definitely. Yeah, man. So ladies and gentlemen, with that said, it sucks allergy season as glorious as it is <laughs> to be spring. <laughs> um, but there are some real tangible strategies and tips that you can take advantage of to make it through the season. And with that said, too, ladies and gentlemen, we also want you to be able to recognize, right, that there are many different reactions um, individuals can have. Not all of these things are allergies. Um, there are many times where individuals just have a side effect of a medication or a, you know, uh, maybe even just the effects of their illness. Um, and it might not be a true allergy to a medicine. And the way that we are going to make that distinction um, is not just from our own hypotheses or guesswork, but see a professional about it and get that professional opinion so that we can make sure to, that you're safe um, and taken care of. Alrighty, And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for tuning into Health in Harlem. We also thank you for in advance, right, for sharing what you've learned on this program with anybody that will listen. And also, we want to send a shout out to the rest of the Health in Harlem team. We also want to shout out WHCR, um, and especially Angela Hardin, the general manager, and Tina Dixon, the production manager for the program, and the rest of the WHCR family. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, each and every week, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself.